0: Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Podverb. I'm your host, Clyde Eugene Makamure. Today I'm joined by a man who has devoted his life to the service of the Creator. His work in archaeology spans several decades and multiple countries, and today, today he joins me to discuss if there is evidence for the biblical flood. If this is your first time here, Remember to subscribe to PodVerb in your favorite podcast player. Hello, Doc. As we start, please may you introduce yourself to the listeners.
1: I just want to congratulate you for doing something to just tell the people that the Bible is authentic. During my theological studies, we had to do the criticism, and this was a very depressing curriculum. And I've decided, by God's grace, that I want to visit just about every archaeological site that's mentioned in the Bible to, to confirm the authenticity of the Word. And for many decades, I've been in the Middle, Middle East every single year, sometimes twice a year. And I'm convinced that the Bible is God's book.
0: (laughs) Amen.
1: We've discovered 116 names mentioned in the Bible that we discovered in archaeology. And with prophecy and archaeology, you just fall in love with this marvelous book and the literature in the Bible, the different styles, the chasms, Hebrew parallelism. Oh, no. This is a great book, and it changes me when I read it for the better.
0: It is a very powerful book indeed. And I can hear the excitement in your voice as you're sharing where you've been. If you don't mind me asking, what has been one memorable discovery that archaeology has pointed you to that's in the Bible?
1: I've got 5,000. Which one?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your favorite of all (laughs) 5,000.
1: Because the Bible is so precious. Uh, When I read the name Pontius Pilate, on an altar of Tiberias, you know, it just warmed my heart. When I saw the name Caiaphas on a sarcophagus, an ossuary, you know, this is great. When I saw the only evidence of crucifixion, this was marvelous. When I walked through Hezekiah's tunnel and I read what happened here, it's in stone. And I've been to Babylon five times, and every time I've learned a little more. But lately, the thing that excited me is my visit to Nippur, the biblical Kalna in Iraq, the southern part of Iraq. And uh, I stood where Ezekiel stood, where he wrote the book Ezekiel, next to the Kabul River. And uh, then I discovered in the Biblical Museum in Jerusalem the names of some of these people that was taken to, uh, to the Keber River. And you know, the Bible speaks about the 10,000. They were the cream of the crop that went to Babylonia and eventually to the Keba River. And I researched this. Where is this river? It flowed through. Nippur, this is so tremendous to stand where he stood, where he saw the visions. Clyde, Clyde, it does something to my innermost soul, standing there. And there's such a lot of material there. And then visiting a place like Irudu, just a heap of ruins, the oldest city in history. And then my research at Nippur, the biblical Erech. Oh, these are great sites. And Ur of the Chaldees. you know, walking up the steps that was theology. you saved by ascending steps to the God up there, whoever he was. Ah. And uh, standing there and see Abram in my imagination. His father and brothers went up there to worship Nana, and of course they worshiped Yahweh as well. Uh, it does something to you when you walk with these people, Walked at Haran, where many things, wonderful things happened. That's where Jacob fell in love with Rachel, where Elias found a wife for Isaac. Oh, these are great stuff. The, uh, uh, For instance, Carchemish, Carchemish, the battlefield that changed the history of the world. And uh, the battle that ensued there was seen by Jeremiah in a prophecy. And you can read it in chapter 46. And when you look at the Babylonian tablets, the chronicle, what the Bible says matches what the Babylonian chronicles tell you. You know, how can you doubt this marvelous book? <laughs> I've been a few times at at this site, man, no, you must stop me. I'll just carry on
0: <laughs> no, i'm I, I, I'm actually excited about all this that you're sharing because the Bible comes to life when you hear such stories.
1: okay, uh, maybe I should just mention this. Daniel did a prophecy, the one thousand two hundred and sixty years, days, years, and it was fulfilled in. 1798. And Daniel 12 says that knowledge will be increased. And that is the birth of archaeology, according to Merle Unger in his book, Archaeology and the Old Testament. This happened when when, uh, Napoleon sent his scholars into Egypt to collect material. And this is when the, the great discoveries was my and this to me is so interesting. The time of the end, knowledge shall be increased. In the first place, at, uh, concerning the book of uh, of Daniel. And then we come to eighteen forty four. You know, in archaeology, you study about the last great Assyrian king Ashurbanipal. He had a library in Nineveh, but wherever he conquered a city. He collected the clay tablets, eventually had 20,000 of them. And uh, when uh, Nineveh was destroyed in 612 by Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's father, Nabopolassar, and Seachares I, king of the Medes, fortunately, all these clay tablets were preserved. The fire didn't destroy them. And in 1844, <laughs> this tremendous date, they discovered two clay tablets, which was uh, from as uh, from uh, Uruk, taken by this great king. And these two clay tablets, the one is uh, Enuma Elish, the account of creation. It's not exactly as you find it in, in Genesis. And the other one was the Gilgamesh epic. And by the way, they've just discovered another one in Iraq. I wanted to see it, but I couldn't get there last year. But here we have 1844 with two of the greatest discoveries. Up to this time, it was only evolution in the book of uh, Genesis that spoke about creation and the flood. But here we've got clay tablets confirming the fact that there was a flood, there was a creation. Of course, the gods that they worshipped were also in a bad mood, always in a bad mood. And they were bad gods, man. Oh, it's terrible to study that rubbish. (laughs) And when you compare it to the Genesis account, and when you read where Noah found favor, grace in God's eyes, this is a different God, my brother. (laughs) He he loved the antediluvian world by destroying them. They would have destroyed themselves. This was an act of love. And God wept when it happened. He wept over Jerusalem when he was thinking of their destruction in 70, AD by Titus. We have a God of love, tremendous love, even for people like me and you, Clyde. So this is just a little bit of archaeology. And this is, this is putting the Bible aside from any other literature. with it's prophecy, And with archaeology. All the prophecies, the conditional prophecies, the story of of Jonah. You know, that king, that king, Adatni Ravi II, he was converted at the preaching of Jonah. And in the British Museum, you can read his conversion. It is so tremendous.
0: (laughs) Was this captured in the records of Nineveh?
1: Yes, and it was taken to the British Museum. Wow, and uh, and the name of Ahab, for instance, you can also read about Ahab on the on one of the steles in the British Museum, where you read his account of a battle in 853 BC, where he mentions, and I'll just give you the Aramaic, Ahabu Matar Ilu, meaning Ahab of Israel, and he gives the figures of this man's army. He was the strongest of the 12 people, that 12 nations that fought against Shalmaneser the III at Karkar, next to the Orontos. So here you find the name of Ayab, outside the Bible, confirming that he was a great king. And then they discovered the, another clay tablet where the king of Mesha mentions as Well, Omri, that was in Jordan. So the stones cry out, the Bible is true. So you've got to stop me, man, because I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: enjoying this. So let, let's go, let's go back to. You mentioned that. There is an account that came from that old library. In fact, there are two accounts that you mentioned, and now you're saying they've just discovered a third one that talk about a biblical flood, well, a flood event, not a biblical flood event. So essentially, this is archaeological evidence that is pointing to a flood, and it's coming from outside of the Bible. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Is there, is there, is there more of such evidence that supports the biblical account?
1: And Clyde, I went to, just a little info, in I was invited by a professor in America with his team. He did a lot of research on Noah and the flood. So I went with him. He invited me and I said, can I invite a friend of mine? And both of us went there. And uh, we were disappointed. Something went wrong with this man's mind. He was brilliant. He was going to publish a book, but we asked the BRI to please just... uh, Hold this, stop it. Anyway, we learned a lot from this great man. But he would come to stones and, and he would read the genealogy from Adam to, to Noah. And I, I realized something went wrong with this man's mind. And then he said, uh, something happened and the, the remains of the antediluvians were moved to another site. And it was a great disappointment, but uh, I, I went... To the curator and I said, You know, I'm looking for ancient writings. And uh, I said, He says something here. He said, Yes. You know, during the Nagorno Karabakh war, they had scouts all over uh, Armenia. And during this time, they discovered this very interesting site. It's on top of one of the many mountains. There are many mountains, it's not only Ararat. And here we came to a place with 2,000 tombs, we think so, with writing on it. But we didn't know what was going on. So my friend took pictures of an entire book that's available. It was $100 and we didn't have that money. And we came back a bit disappointed. But while I was back in South Africa, a year and a half later, I look at the slides that my friend took from this book. And Clyde, I became so excited.
0: What did you discover? I
1: realized that I was at the place where the ark came down, according to the book Patriarchs and Prophets, where Ellen White describes the site, surrounded by mountains close by. And uh, I went back. I took my daughter with me. And this time I went first to, to Ararat, where you can see a form of a ship, but we did some investigation and this was just a, a phenomenon, a geological phenomenon and this excitement was gone. The world war
0: was missing. So it wasn't actually pointing to the, to the form of the ark that Noah was in?
1: No, the form was perfect, but uh, they did uh, laser tests on it, but this was not the place. So today scholars reject that this is part of the ark. And by the way, it was not up on top of uh, Ararat because when you go there, you, you, you don't have oxygen and people die up there. And I spoke to Sali, the great guide, to people up there. He says, there's no ark here. But people say, man, we pay you. Take us up there. All kinds of sensational YouTube messages, but it's not there. So I went back to the place with the book. I took some prophets. And something happened this time. The man who took us up. With an old jeep. To our drive up to this mountain. It's a very uh, lenient slope. It's easy to get there. And then he said something. Adam. Eva. He cannot speak English. He cannot even speak Afrikaans. My mother tongue. But when we got up to the top. I took him by the arm. And I said Adam ever, Adam, ever. And among those 2,000 tombs or rocks, he took us to the place. Clyde, this was an experience. On the rock, you see the snake, you see the tree, you see the fruit on the tree, and you see Eve grabbing the fruit and Adam standing apart. And according to Eruni, the great scholar in Armenia, this is the first evidence on stone about the fall of mankind.
0: This is this is this is exciting.
1: Yes. Another thing, I don't know if you read in Patriarchs and prophets about the intellectual giants in the antediluvian world. Yes, where seven generations lived. Ex- Have you read that?
0: Yes, and uh, Sister White really points to the fact. That, you know, when when we when when we go through public school curricula, we are told that human beings are actually becoming intellectually superior than those who were in the past. But when you contrast that with what Sister White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, you actually see that we are nowhere near where those people were lived before the flood.
1: Yeah. So they didn't need any books. I'm coming to the flood now. So the flood came and Noah and his family and his posterity started a new, new life. But they also had these tremendous intellectual capabilities. Now I visited two sites. I don't know if you've heard about, uh, about them. The one is in, in Turkey, Gobekli Kepe. Gobekli Tebi, tebi. It's, it's a very late discovery and uh, the Turkish people think that this is going to be the greatest archaeological attraction I've walked through the place <clears throat> I did everything a researcher can do but you don't find any mention of how this place was built it's a mystery but by the way it's not a mystery the other place is Baalbek in Jordan. I don't know if you've heard of Baalbek. No, I have not. Baalbek is an ancient site with foundations that cannot be fathomed. It's, it's too big to fathom. They build with columns weighing 1,500 tons. A modern crane, I think, can only lift about 40 uh, tons. Here you've got tons of tons of tons. And if you read the the internet, they cannot tell you what's happening. They've got different theories. I was searching for inscriptions how this place was built. You don't find it. Now, just pause, pause a little there. No inscriptions on these two great archaeological discoveries. In Uruk, I've been there just a few months ago. When you visit there, the first sign that you see is, this is the birthplace of writing. So from the time of the flood, people could remember, 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 remember. Until you come about 500 or 1,000 years after the flood, the mental capability of people came down and they could not remember. And this is when they discovered The art of writing. It was very elementary and it took another thousand years to to perfect cuneiform writing. So Ellen White's statement, no writing before the flood. After the flood, for a while, a few hundred years, no writing. And then we degenerated and we had to invent writing. And this explains to me why a place like you can you can look up my research on uh, the, these two sites, Baalbek and Kobekli Tepe. By, by the way, Kobekli Tepe means the use of the belly, uh, the, the the stomach, the protruding st- stomach like men get when they're getting older. <laughs> the use like this, like pot bellies, you know. <laughs> but but w- with this discovery at uh, Uruk, biblical Erech where writing was eventually developed, I have the only answer, according to Ellen White, that they built these fantastic structures with no notes, They remembered everything. And this answers my question, which modern archaeologists cannot answer. They don't know what to say. Where's the writing?
0: It, 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 it makes sense. It just makes sense.
1: You, you, you see things like this glide uh, the more i study the more i believe the bible
0: amen this this is this is quite powerful and it's very exciting you know
1: yes now another thing to to to, uh, to confirm uh, the uh, the flood account at a place called eridu this was the first city ever built after the flood according to the available uh, knowledge we have but In Uruk, a German archaeologist discovered a very, very valuable clay tablet. It was actually a cylinder. On this cylinder, you read about the very first king who ruled. Now, this is according to Sumerian mythology. And you've got five of these kings who ruled before the flood. And then after the flood, you have another list of Sumerians who ruled. But this is the interesting thing. When you study the, the dates of the Antediluvian rulers before the flood, it's a very long time that these people ruled. After the flood, whoops! <laughs> the ages of the rulers dropped dramatically. Exactly what the Bible tells us, you see on this Sumerian king list. You know, I was so excited when I saw this. There is so much to say, my brother, so much to say, and sometimes I speak a lot of nonsense because I jump from one place to another.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So essentially, there is a, a treasure trove of information to be found in all of these archaeological sites that confirms the things that we already read and we already have in the Bible.
1: Yes. Yes. Are there
0: are there any other lines that we may just pick from the post-flood world that clearly point us to the issue of the flood? I know the fossil record is one thing that would definitely be powerful there, but is there anything else apart from the fossil record that is in... um? archaeology that
1: we can get? I think uh, the closest you can come uh, are the tablets, the Gilgamesh epic tablets where another man is named Utnapishtim. He's he he's the Noah of the Bible and we've got seven seven. Uh, what do you call it uh, similarities on the flood account.
0: With the Gilgamesh
1: epic? Yeah, on the Gilgamesh epic. There's quite a few tablets. But this is the closest. There was a flood. It was universal. uh, But there's a few silly things. uh, The gods said, the people down there are making a big noise. We're going to destroy them. You know, silly things like this. (laughs) But uh, this helps you to understand when you read in Sumerian... Uh, that Adama the god and they gave his name said to Adama if you eat of this fruit you will die. You, you know the devil distorted the truth. Yes. But you glean you glean certain certain lights that that helps you to understand that these people knew that there was something, but the devil just mixed it up. Right. Uh, I just want to mention one thing. Please do. That happened when they, when they developed a language, cuneiform. They had to create a word for love. And what they did, they took the planet. Ki is planet in Sumerian. Ki. And the other word, which you cannot measure, is distance distance, aga. And they put ki aga together, and that's the word for love in Sumerian. And you get the same thought in Psalms 103 verse 11. For as high, aga, as the earth, ki, is above, so great is God's love, ki aga. And when you want to use the superlative, if you say to your wife, are you married, Clyde? No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. But not when it. you get married, tell a key aga aga. That's the superlative. I love you superbly. <laughs> we are looking for more evidence on the flood. It's a great
0: subject. So maybe as, as 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 we wrap this up, what what projects are you currently working on right now?
1: I'm doing personifications of these ancient cities, like. I allow Uruk to tell its story. And you can get this on YouTube at this stage. Uruk, the biblical Erek. And then there's a series that I I did on uh, on Nineveh. And the uh, very interesting thing, I'll just mention this quickly. A king by the name of Esaradon, he's mentioned in the Bible and I saw his inscriptions in, in Beirut uh, where he, he poses and you have a little inscription there. But this king was a very strange man and during his reign the prophet Nahum was alive and the entire book of Nahum is a warning that Nineveh would be destroyed. Now, what is interesting, this Esarhadon, the Bible mentions him, how he got king, etc. And the archaeology and the Bible synchronizes. So when there's a danger or the oracles tell him you're going to uh, have some problems, then they choose somebody with a low IQ, say, of 83. And they say, we're making you king. And for a hundred days, this man, who was not too brilliant, (laughs) had a very happy day. They allowed him to use the harem, whatever time he needs it. And he sat on the throne. He was clothed in the clothes of a king. And after a hundred days, they killed this man. So he was supposed to get the... The curses. To come unto him. And Ezra Adon was free. But Ezra Adon read. The prophecy of Nahum. Because the Bible says. he, Through his prophets. He won a place. Before he destroys them. So four times. Ezra Adon did this. Ignoring the book of Nahum. And then eventually. His son Ashurbanipa. Also did the same thing, the substitution king. And there's a lot of new research on this. They ignore the prophecy of Nahum. And Nineveh was destroyed. And the vision that he had of the destruction of Nineveh, Clyde, is marvelous. Do you know what Nahum did? He studied the curses of the Assyrian kings, Eshradon, on his vassals. If you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. And Nahum took all those curses. And he writes in his book, this is going to happen to you. Brother,
0: we've discovered a new gem, the book
1: of Nahum. It is tremendous.
0: (laughs) You know, I I went through it a a couple of uh, weeks ago. And now that you're mentioning this, I think I would want to go and revisit it with what you've just said in mind, because I'm sure it will change the dynamic as I'm going through the book.
1: No. If you see it in the the historical light, the substitute king died, four of them died, ignoring Nahum's prophecy. Wow. No, archaeology is is such a book, my brother, and that God has given it to us to study the Bible.
0: And I honestly hope that one of our listeners will be excited about this and they'll take up the mantle of Elijah and go in your footsteps and... Do some great please, work for the please, master. Please, please, <laughs> please.
1: <laughs> I want to close with a, with a Sumerian poem. I'm just going to use a few verbs. Go ahead. Kishkiri. Kishkiri. This refers to a paradise. Kishkiri. Gup. Gup means plant in Sumerian. Kishkiri. Gup. Mach means great, magnificent, wonderful. And then, kish, Kiri Kup mach, sikil. Sikil is the shalom or the alaykum salam. But it's much more. Everything beautiful and positive are put into this word. And when I read this, I'm just giving you a very short version. When I read this, I saw the hunger of some Sumerian poet longing for sikil, a place of safety, a place of joy. A place of prosperity, a place of peace. And I'm looking forward to that place as it is described in the book of Revelation 21-22. And Clyde, may we be there. Amen. Not to study archaeology, but the glory of God, which is His love for sinners like you. you. Amen.
0: And we surely hope to be there (laughs) indeed. Well, that is it for another episode of Podverb. I was truly blessed to get such deep insights from Dr. Francois Duplessis as he showed how archaeology is providing pieces of evidence outside of the Bible that support what the Bible has to say on origins and this earth's history. Additionally, Dr. Duplessis went the extra mile to link me up with next month's guest. And for that, I am truly thankful. Next month's guest is a prominent voice in this space and I'm sure that is an episode worth looking forward to. But I will not spoil the show by telling you their name. If you have been blessed by this episode of the podcast, share the link with one person that will be equally blessed. If you want to reach out, please contact me by sending an email to podcast at podverb.com. That is podcast at p-o-d-v-e-r-b Until next time, Be blessed, my friends.